Welcome to Solo 2.0, an empowerment podcast hosted by two sisters living in LA, making their way through the health and wellness world. I'm Ryan Birch. And I'm Jess Sukan. Each week, we're committed to bringing you conversations with risk-taking, resilient guests from diverse backgrounds, interviews with experts on controversial or misunderstood topics that will expand your perspective, and lively roundtable discussions with our mom, hormone health educator, Candace Birch. We're driven to provide the support and motivation needed to ignite growth, confidence, and purpose so you can step into that 2.0 version of you. We can't wait to dig into these conversations and hope you'll join us every week for a new episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. I'm Jess, holistic health coach and founder of Body Blessed by Jess. And I'm Ryan, co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. Happy New Year, everybody. It is officially 2021, thank God. And one thing that we wanted to talk about uh, before we get into this awesome guest that we have on today's episode was the importance of setting clear goals in, in our favorite practice of journaling. So something that we talked about on an episode last year, if you want to look it up, it's uh, a solo episode on journaling, December 19th. 2019. Yeah. 2019. We walk through a solo journaling worksheet that I actually created that really helps you create really clear goals in each area of your life that you want to make improvements. So getting really clear about what feels good in, for example, my relationships. What area of my relationships needs work? Now, what do I have to do specifically or what can I do specifically today or this week or this month? that I can put on my calendar, that I can put on my to-do list to make progress with that goal. Because as we know, without setting clear plans for our goals, you don't necessarily get anywhere. And there's all of this overwhelm around this time of year, around setting a million resolutions and all of those things. But we think if we can just zero in on reflection and simply sitting down with pen and paper and re- getting really clear about what feels good in your life and what needs a little bit of work, that's what's going to really feel the best. And then you can move forward in making slow and steady gains towards your goals. Um, but I think regularly checking back in with yourself and creating some sort of journaling or just simply a reflection practice, we find to be just so powerful and something we really hope and encourage you will do and is also why we created that worksheet and would love for you to DM us or email us at uh, solo2.0podcast at gmail.com if you would like that prompt. It's really pretty uh, and, it, and it's really, really helpful. Yeah, so, I actually use it with all of my clients and specifically right now we've been going through it and it's so helpful. And I, I really appreciate that there's one action step in each area because I think so often we fall into like a million things that we want to do all at once. And that's sometimes why we do fall off of our goals and it just feels like too much. But if you can chip away at one thing a week and then layer onto it every week thereafter, before you know it, you're getting after your goals so much quicker than the like zero to 60 approach. Definitely. And I also will be speaking on a virtual retreat or at a virtual retreat with our friend Rachel of Rachel Recharged. Um, So you can go to at Rachel Recharged to find her link for tickets, but I'll be doing a journaling workshop in that, uh, in that event. So that's also a great place to kind of 
get comfortable with that practice. But speaking of goals, uh, we wanted to share a couple of our goals uh, specifically for this year with the podcast. We have spent some time over the holiday break that we took. We both road tripped up to Oregon to safely be able to see our parents. And we just really got to talking about how we want this podcast to evolve. And we've come up with a new format that we think will be a lot more effective in giving you the tools to really move to action on your goals and not feel so overwhelmed because there's just so much information out there. And I think with all of us at home right now, uh, too much information is just, I don't think we have as much time maybe to listen to super long podcasts or it depends. It depends. You know, we're not commuting anymore. We're not doing those things. So for us, we just felt like this new format that we came up with will be a better fit for us and more fun for us and more fun for you all to listen to. So we're not going to go into detail about it because we're going to share that format in next week's episode. So just stay tuned for that. And we can't wait to hear what you think and make sure to DM us at solo 2.0 podcast. If you have any guest suggestions or topics that you want to learn about, because we're really zeroing in on those hot topics and areas of all of our lives that we, we all tend to want to improve upon. So, and that's our shared goal and something we are already moving on and so excited to bring to you. And then another goal that just privately has had was to to get this man on the podcast that we have today, Sean Stevenson. Um, I reached out to him last year, like before the pandemic hit and DM'd him and he gets a million DMs and he wrote back, you know, I, I asked if he would like to be on the podcast and he said, you know, I would love that, but I'm in the middle of writing this book. Uh, so can we circle back in a few months? And then the pandemic hit and I didn't reach out because I knew everything was just so crazy. And then more recently at the end of 2020, I reached back out again and he responded and said I would love to. And the book that he was writing, Eat Smarter, is the one that he's going to talk about on today's episode. But um, I'm just really excited about this one because it's just been such a dream of mine to have an actual conversation with Sean because I've been listening as I share in the episode to his model health show, which is featured as the number one health podcast in the U.S. with millions of listener downloads each year. I've been listening to that for years, like since I came out of health coaching school and I just learned so much and I just love his personality and his way of sharing information in a way that's really approachable and interesting and fun. And, and we'll go into all of that. I, you know, I, I talk about this in the intro with Sean. So with that said, um, you know, he is the author of the best-selling book, Sleep Smarter. And then as I mentioned, his book, Eat Smarter, is now available as well via eatsmarterbook.com. So in Sean's new book, Eat Smarter, he dives into the secret truth behind the creation and popularity of the calorie. And it honestly blew my mind. So I knew that we had to dive into it in this episode, which we do in detail. And if you're someone like me who's ever dieted in the past or been a slave to calorie counting, um, you know, using my fitness pal and all those different sort of calorie counting apps and tracking devices, the obsession with these crazy numbers is something that you probably relate to and completely understand. And so Sean gets deep into how the misconstructed science of calories has contributed to our growing diet struggles and shares healthier, clinically proven ways that we can see results in our bodies that will actually last long term. 
He also shares in detail the five things that actually control what calories do in your body and gives us a ton of nuggets straight from his book so you can get a sneak peek into the kind of amazing tools you'll walk away with when you grab a copy. And we also get into Sean's upbringing, the insane health crisis he went through when he was younger, how he healed, and the reason why he became so passionate about the work he does helping millions of people improve their diets, optimize their sleep, and really get after what we call the 2.0 versions of themselves so they can live life to the fullest. So we don't need to say it again, but I'm going to say it again. We're really excited for this episode and hope that you enjoy this important, lively, inspiring conversation with Sean Stevenson. Hey, Sean, welcome to the podcast. And thank you so much for taking time out of your crazy schedule to be with us today. It's totally my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So for those who don't know, Sean's podcast, The Model Health Show, is bar none, my favorite health and wellness podcast out there. And honestly, I I kid you not, like it's the only podcast that's ever gotten me excited about science, (laughs) which like science is not my jam. Um, Definitely failed almost all of my science classes in high school and college. But I did go to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition to become a health coach, and I became really fascinated by this concept of food as medicine. And so I started to go down the rabbit hole, and I was listening to a ton of different podcasts, YouTube channels, and just trying to learn as much as I possibly could because I'd actually cured myself of debilitating migraines through using food as medicine and reducing stressors in my life and really getting to the root versus going like the traditional prescription medication way, which wasn't working for me. And so I was really fascinated, but I was finding that I was pretty overwhelmed by all the information. And a lot of times I just kind of felt like I was listening to two experts speak a language that they understood that I wasn't trained on. And I became, you know, frustrated and overwhelmed. And sometimes I would zone out or I'd feel like I'm never going to learn this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to be as successful as I want because I don't know enough until I found your podcast. And the way that you share information is just so approachable, relatable, entertaining. Everything you talk about is backed by peer-reviewed studies, but you deliver these peer-reviewed studies in a way that's almost like storytelling, which is truly an art form because if you've read a peer-reviewed study before you know that they're pretty cut and dry so that's my intro to you and I just have to say that I'm just really really excited to to chat with you today and have you on literally like one of the best intros I've ever heard that's so wonderful truly like you just you just said everything that that's my intention in doing things the way that I do them because true story, like until even a few years ago, I'd have nightmares about being in biology class and like not having my stuff together. And I did great in school. Like I understood that system, but I just couldn't stand science. I hated it mm-hmm. really because of the way that it was being taught. You know, it just didn't connect with me. It wasn't like a visceral connection. You know what I mean? Yeah. And once once that happened, once I actually had my own health challenges, same, very similar to you. And wanting to figure things out, I saw very quickly that, you know, there's this kind of academia that speaks to itself, you know, trying to sound smart to other academics, you know, and I would and I initially came into the field doing the same thing. 
but that just that was like the one thread of not being a thousand percent authentic to myself. And once I saw this, it was just like people need to know this stuff because one of the things I've been sharing as much as I can recently, by the time we have a peer review, like proven efficacy of a certain study, we'll say like the the benefits of of um, Rishi or curcumin in turmeric. We've got a peer-reviewed, randomized, placebo-controlled trial finding it's more effective than fill-in-the-blank medication. It takes about 17 years on average for it to go from study to actually being used in clinical practice. Wow. And that's not right. It's not okay because uh-huh. if it can be helpful to people right now, people need to know it. Stop this in-talking and chatting back and forth trying to sound smart. Let's make sure people get this education. And so that's what I really did was like, that was my intention to make smart cool, you know, to make science approachable and attractive and fun. So that means a lot. Ah, that's, that's so cool to hear. I actually would have never guessed that you two did not like science or connect with it because it feels like it's, I mean, obviously it is now something you're so passionate about. Was there like a, a moment where you realized that you had a gift for delivering information in this way that was so relatable and entertaining? Well, you know what's so funny? Like, I didn't put the pieces together until recently. And I was having dinner with somebody who's like, I really consider him a mentor, uh, Michael Beckwith. And I was telling him the story about how I used to get in trouble in fourth grade. You know, I had straight A's, but I guess I was just bored. I don't know. I was just being a little kid, you know. And so the teacher, I was like disrupting the class so much, the teacher get, made a deal with me that every Friday, at the end of school, she'd save me 20 minutes and I could stand up in front of the class and entertain everybody. <laughs> so I could like dance or sing or tell jokes, whatever I wanted to do. And so I never connected the fact that I was like always inclined to do that type of thing, you know, until like very, very recently, like literally a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Um, but outside of that, uh, as far as specifically with science, um, I kind of, I saw it once I, and this was like you guys said, you know, getting back involved in this and having podcasts and conversations, you get a little nervous, you know, like I want to, I want to make sure people get it. I want to make sure this makes an impact. And so I started teaching classes and I was so scared out of my mind. I just taught a neuroscience class by you yesterday. But prior to that, I'm teaching like in my mother-in-law's kitchen. It's like two people and I'm sweating bullets. I'm just so scared. (laughs) I did see in those instances, you know, again, people who previously didn't connect with science, they they didn't care. They just came there to try to figure out how to lose weight or whatever the case might be. But something landed. Like I found a way to make it some connective tissue. And I think it was really, well, now I know it was really just being, me being authentic and me understanding that right now I'm competing with Cardi B for people's attention. You know, I'm competing with, you know, freaking uh, Game of Thrones and, you know, the, 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 the Snyder Cut of Justice. Like there's so much vying for people's attention. Why would people want to care about their body? As crazy as it sounds. Yeah. We're so externally focused. And so entertainment is really the big pull for humanity right now. So I'm going to make this education entertaining. Mm-hmm. And I just operate like that anyways. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just, it's just who I am in the first place. Like if we're going to talk about something, I'm going to make sure that it's entertaining. 
So I hope that answers the question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Our, our mom is a hormone health educator, and she always calls it, we get her on a lot of podcasts, and she always calls it edutainment. Yeah. It's, it's truly that, you know, that's what gets people interested in continuing to, to tune in. And you talked about kind of your being authentic, and you also mentioned having health struggles as kind of an entry into this path. So can you take it back a little bit and talk about your yeah personal health, um, even body image issues or whatever it was that led to this interest in science and health? Absolutely. I did get into this field on, it was really unexpected. You know, I thought I would you know, play college sports, you know, potentially play in the NFL. You know, that was my big, big goal, big dream. You know, just coming from where I'm from, that's generally what we see for people to like, quote, make it is to, you know, through sports or through music. And, and this wasn't a delusion of grandeur. You know, like I ran a four, five, 40 yard dash, which is like, that's like NFL time when I was 15 years old, you know, so things were looking good, but actually it was at track practice um, because I, you know, I do football and then do track in the spring. I was doing a time trial, which is just me and the coach, maybe one other person. Sometimes we'll do the time trial together, but it's just me and the coach and I'm doing my sprint and all I'm doing is just running. And as I'm running, I broke my hip. My hip bone actually broke. My iliac crest just broke. And I didn't fall. Nobody hit me. None of that. It's just my, I didn't know this until years later that my bone density was so low. And I had this, you know, was referred to as like degenerative bone disease, degenerative disc disease of my spine as well. My body just really started breaking down. Uh, so this was when I was 20, I finally get this diagnosis. And I had a string of injuries you know, I've got game films where I'm like, literally a breakaway on a touch, you know, a run for touchdowns. There's no, there's nobody within 10 yards of me. And I like just collapse, you know, or I start limping because something is pulled or something is, you know, something's torn, you know, these different injuries because my body was just so in chaos, you know, and unfortunately none of the physicians that I saw ever stopped to ask, how did a kid 15 years old break his bones from running? This is very abnormal. Yeah. And ultimately, when I was 20, getting his diagnosis, the physician put the MRI up and he said that I had the spine of an 80-year-old man when I was just 20. Oh, Not wow. a healthy 80-year-old, wow. by the way, because there are some 80-year-olds who are crushing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I looked at, I look like what you would typically think of in American culture. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I, it really it was a crushing experience for me, you know, because I always saw myself as like, this fit person, you know, like I was the only person in my family really who was, you know, fit, but there's a big difference between fit and healthy, you know, fitness and health are, they can be, you know, they can come together in the same person, but they're very different. There's different dynamics and nuances. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to make a long story short, you know, it was a very tough time in my life, you know, from the age of 20 to 22, I gained a lot of weight, you know, my fat genes, that my, you know, the rest of my family, you know, it kicked on. Um, and I just had a really rapid decline. It wasn't just physical, but it was also, you know, with my mental well-being, you know, going from somebody who's very capable and I feel very assertive in the world to just being somebody who's like in, in constant fear of just getting up and moving around because I was in pain all the time. Yeah. And um, it was a, it was a big challenge, but everything really changed after I saw 
which I highly recommend people always do this. If you ever get bad news uh, when it comes to your health, make sure to get a second and or third opinion yeah. before you take any um, very big actions as far as surgery, even getting on medications. You know, like take this stuff more seriously because there is no action that doesn't have a consequence. And so I did that, fortunately, uh, but unfortunately, they all told me the same thing. You know, this this condition was incurable. Uh, there's nothing that I can do about it. They can help me manage the pain. And the craziest part was that each of these doctors, even if I saw them a year apart, each one told me to go on bed rest. Wow. Each of them. And so when you're not doing anything, when you're not moving, not only did my back and my disc atrophy and my bones but also now everything else is atrophying as well. You know, like your body really works on this use it or lose it basis. Like my whole, nothing in my body was active. You know, I, I relented and I sat on my little college apartment couch most hours of the day. And I went from a full credit load in school to just barely scraping by with one class. Wow. I was just embarrassed, you know? Yeah. And so all of it changed ultimately. And people, you know, obviously it turned out good. But it did not look that way in the beginning. And it really changed after the last physician I saw told me he couldn't help me. And the habitual question I was asking my mind all the time is, why won't somebody help me? Why won't somebody help me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? And there's a, something called instinctive elaboration. You know, it's a mental reflex. And I, I talk about it in my book, too, uh, because really questions kind of direct the, the focus of the human mind. It's really a servo mechanism. Your brain is hardwired to seek out information on the thing you hold as a top priority. Uh, so whether that's survival needs, so whether, whatever it is, because we're all right now, and it can freak you out what I'm about to say, we're taking in trillions upon trillions of bits of data, you know, even our toes, like there's so much data coming in. You might've thought about your toes right now. <laughs> yeah. Weird because like your toes were there before, right? Yeah. But it's just this filtering of information to hold what's top of mind, most important. And so when in questions are that directive. So it's kind of like, is this if you meet somebody, it's like just in through our evolution, like, is this person a threat or is this person going to help me? You know, is that animal a threat? Am I going to eat it or is it going to eat me? Like, it's these these questions that guide. But a lot of it's unconscious. And so that night. After I saw that guy, the last physician, who told me, I'm sorry, son, I can't help you. Here's some medication, bed rest. I'm sorry. I realized that they meant well, but they're not thinking about me when I'm sitting by myself alone in my apartment, taking all of these drugs, just trying to get by. And I realized that, and I asked this question and it changed everything. I asked for the first time, what is it that I can do to get healthy? What can I do? to get better. I actually use the word better in my mind. I was like, what can I do to get better? And I never thought about taking personal responsibility before it, which is crazy. Wow. You know? But it's a condition many of us have where we're outsourcing our help. Not to say that our physicians can't be great coaches and supporters and to do wonderful things, but we are the number one force in our lives determining our health outcomes. Mm -hmm. So asking that question, elicited so many changes in my life. I started to ask, what is my spine made out of? What are my bones made out of? I'm deficient in all these nutrients that I had no idea about, but I finally asked the question, you know? And um, about six weeks later, 
after all of this pain and suffering for two years, I was the pain was completely gone. It was as if it never existed. Um, I lost like about 18, 20 pounds in that first two months, uh, which is not typical. But the weight, I was always the, quote, skinny kid. It just really flew off me once I started implementing some of the strategies we might talk about today. But I changed my movement practices, the way that I was eating. My sleep was wildly important. And ultimately, it was about nine months later when I finally went and got a, a scan done on my spine. And I'll never forget it. Like the doctors, like it was like a silence. Like we're just standing there together. I already knew. I already knew I was just going in there for affirmation, which is kind of a little bit sad because I still didn't trust myself enough yet. But he was just standing there like stroking his chin for the longest. It seemed like several minutes, but it's probably just some seconds. And he was, I've, I've never seen results like this before. Mm. Whatever you're doing, keep it up. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Um, yeah. But from that point on, I dedicated myself because people started asking me for help. Like, what the hell did you do? Yeah. Because it just looked like a person who lost weight. I looked like a person who was radically healthy. Whereas before I looked like, I don't know. I mean, when I see myself back then, it's just like, I look like Casper the unfriendly ghost. Like I just look like I'm not quite there. Like a shell of yourself. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so people started asking me for my help. I shifted my course work to, you know, biology and nutritional science and all the stuff that I'm known for today. But heads up, I was wildly miseducated in school. So uh, hmm. almost none of that is relevant to today, but wow. long story short, thank you so much for asking that question because that's really the heart of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And since then, literally like on so many levels, I've had an impact on millions of lives and it's just, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful, but I really feel like I'm also just getting warmed up. Yeah. 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 Well, and truly it's like when you, I know I want to like clap really loud. <laughs> <laughs> like obnoxiously loud we got bells horns yeah. um but yeah I mean you can feel it from you and even without having fully known your story it's like I knew that you had been through your own struggles you had to have been in order to be as passionate as you are about helping other people and I feel like that's just so it's so contagious when you hear somebody who is not only like sharing this information that's going to help other people, but is like been through this major transformation themselves. And it's easy to look at somebody like you and to say, oh, well, that can't be me because he's so successful. He has this huge podcast. He has books. Like he has this happy family I see on Instagram and like that won't be me. But it's like, you don't, you don't know all that it took to get to this point. And I feel like for people that are in a place where they are struggling or they don't have hope, it's like, they need to find somebody like you who can be a mentor because you don't have to spend hundreds and thousands of dollars for a mentor. You can find a mentor um, and somebody like you through your books and your podcast. So we're also very grateful for you. <laughs> Truly, yeah. That's amazing. And that's what's so great about this time right now, too, is that we all have access. There is no the gatekeepers are gone. You know, there is some weird regulation things happening right now, but for the large, uh, large portion of this, you know, like when I was in college still, like they were transitioning from the Dewey Decimal System. Like you got to go look in the library and find, you know, <laughs> find your book. Now we have instant access to infinite information. But the key right now is asking the right questions. It still goes back to that mm -hmm. because you can find evidence to support just about anything. But you also have to be willing to look at both sides of the equation. That's another thing I really worked on doing as well. Um, but it's just if you ask the right question, you can find 
the data to help you to, to, to achieve one. And you have access to so many resources and incredible thinkers and people and teachers that you never, like at the touch of a button. So again, no disrespect to Cardi B, or you know whoever like you could tune into that, or you could tune in to what I got going on, or you know some of my friends and colleagues that are doing great things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to Jess's point about almost like that pulling back the curtain for people, because I think we do so often compare where we are today, our journey to someone who's you know years ahead and who have been through the ups and downs. So I like that you're honest about that you went to school and obviously, you know, when you see that from you, it's so impressive. And yet you're saying, well, that's not exactly even what made me successful necessarily or where I learned the most. So can you share maybe what were some of the pivotal steps like from college to the beginning of your career that kind of set you well up for success or began your career? Ooh, that is such a good question. Um, you know, be going to a traditional university that I think it's a great experience just for self self management, you know, but outside of that, there's our education system in and of itself is really well designed for a world that doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's so behind where we are with technology and with innovation and all the changes happening in the world. And right now, this is also another big symptom that's not talked about with our skyrocketing rates of depression and anxiety and other mental health challenges is the fact that over 50% of the workforce in the United States is unhappy doing the work that they're doing. You know, they're trying to figure out a world that went through to, you know, went to school to come out the other side and spend their life energy doing something that's not fulfilling to them. And we're educated in that way that you need to learn these particular things. Most of it you'll never use and then go out there and figure it out. At no point in my education did any class teach me how to be successful. Mm-hmm. Did no, I took psychology. He didn't teach me shit about being happy. Not one thing. We talked about problems. We talked about all the things wrong with people. You know, now there is blossoming fields of like positive psychology and, you know, epigenetics looking yeah. at things that are controlling what our genes are doing. Uh, so there's wonderful fields that, but again, it takes such a long time for that information to get into practical application in the real world. You know, so I just want to preface with that. Yeah. So folks know, because people literally every day, you know, I can ne- never even get close to responding to all the messages, but daily folks are asking like, what, what should I do? You know, like, what should I go to this school? Should I, do this certification program, you know, I want to do something similar to you. And there is no one size fits all cookie cutter method to, to doing what I'm doing. However, um, it just, it really depends on the person and your own needs. If you, you know, it's about knowing yourself, mm-hmm. you know, it's about self analysis and like realizing, do I need more structure? Like would a college, you know, campus and, and, and advisors and all those things, do I need that? You know, if so, use that time, but also know that, and there's this great quote going back, I believe it's Mark Twain, to never let school get in the way of your education. <laughs> I love that. And so it's either Mark Twain, Einstein, one of those <laughs> epic people, <laughs> but <laughs> understanding you're still, you're going to need to you have that framework, sure, get the degree, sure, but please understand your education 
is really what you're doing outside of those walls, outside of that param those parameters. Mm -hmm. And learning from the people who are actually successful in the field. Mm -hmm. you know, not just, again, like some of my best friends are professors. And the majority of them, though, have been successful in other things, which is rare. This is rare. Maybe that's why we vibe. But a lot of there's a statement that if you can't do, teach, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And understanding, has this person taken what they're teaching right now, this international business class, are they successful in international business? If they are, what the hell are they doing here? You know? <laughs> um, or Sometimes it is altruism and they want to give back and they want to teach. You know, But a lot of times we're not learning from people who have the thing that we're trying to get, which makes no sense. You know, um, So with that said, um, I think that the love really, it was, it was, it has to be something visceral. It has to be connective tissue. It has to be something that lands with you personally. So you want to use your own psychology and leverage it. You know, so for me, I went from being a very self-centered person. And I say that with extreme, um, I, I want to say humbleness or there's a little bit of sadness there. You know, I didn't want to be that way. It was just the nature of my environment. You know, I grew up in an environment where there's a lot, there's just a lot of uncertainty. You know, there's a lot of potential violence. There's a lot of just, you know, uh, things are very unstable. And so the self-centered character was just like a protective mechanism. Yeah. But once I got well, and it's not just the physical changes, your mind changes. And I start feeling good. And seeing, I wanted to see that light in other people's eyes. And also when I hear the story of somebody else being told what I was told, like, you have this condition, there's nothing you could do. Oh my, man, that would fire me up, you know? And so for me, I switched from being very self-centered to being other-centered, you know, really focusing on how can I serve? I still ask that question as soon as I open my eyes every day, how can I serve today? And your brain starts to look for ways to do that. Now, let me also say this for everybody. You have to be careful about that, too, because <laughs> I got so focused on helping other people. You can let yourself yeah. slide your own like mental wellness and, you know, protecting your energy. Let me put it like that. You know, <laughs> especially if you're working with people that have a lot of issues. Yeah. You know what I mean, so there's still some balance there. But I'm very much that for me, that was the leverage point in my psychology, you know, was a dedication. Like I wanted to see that light happen in people's eyes. And I wanted my kids to be proud of me, of somebody who never, you know, I just, I didn't give up. And somebody who stood up for other people and somebody who, you know, even facing odds, like right now, it's a very strange time in science where it's very one particular lane of the conversation is being told. And there's so many, I mean, it's like vanilla and when there's like so many other flavors that are not being brought to the forefront and through major media and that kind of thing. And so, That's a good so way of it. yeah. So for my kids knowing that I, 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 I'm one of the people who stood up and did something about it. Yeah. What were the first few steps that you took kind of coming out of college to make a career out of this? And we want to get to your model health show and, mm -hmm. Um, your book. And your book. Yeah, there's so much in all of that. So we just kind of wanted to know, um, yeah, what maybe just some steps for people to understand how that how that you spark that success. And we want to get into the show. And OK, 
where it started and where, where you're at now. Yeah. How did you channel those passions and that need to give back into an, a fully fledged career? So I'll just hit a couple bullet points. The first thing, while I was in school and folks, even my professors, you know, were asking like, what did you do? What happened to you? How did you get, you know, how did you change your body so much? Uh, but they became my clients and the, the low hanging fruit for me was through exercise, you know, because coming up as an athlete. So I went and got certification, became a personal trainer, strength conditioning coach, you know, working with everyday folks at the university, students, faculty, professors, uh, athletes. And so I had this very diverse array of people too, being on a college campus here in the United States with people from all over the world. So it was just this, I had no idea how it was working on me. And um, seeing these consistencies in, in culture, these overlaps, and also some of the differences, you know, and I think that really served me in how I communicate too. Um, so that, and then eventually after I graduated, I opened up uh, clinical practice as a nutritionist and just, you know, working with clients and working with patients who are coming in every day, you know, alongside, you know, with their doctors oftentimes and uh, just really putting together a comprehensive uh, uh, plans, not just with nutrition though, that was the beginning. Because for me, food was a big thing, but also the other areas of their lives that nobody else was asking about or caring about, you know, their stress levels, their sleep quality, all these things. And we saw some freaking unbelievable results, you know, with folks coming in who, you know, they're on metformin for their uh, diabetes, you know, insulin, you know, folks are on lisinopril. Some oftentimes they'd be on a plethora of things, lisinopril for, you know, their blood pressure and the statin and all of this stuff. And we saw such a high success rate, you know, about 79, 80% uh, success rate for helping folks along again, along with their physician to uh, no longer need medication for diabetes, for type two diabetes. And the, re- the way that we were able to do that is walking people through how the disease is created, like basically reverse engineering it for them and getting them excited and seeing, like I said, their eyes light up when they actually learn, oh, this is, I thought that this just happened. Or I thought that, I, you know, I just supposed to stop eating as much sugar. Like, what the hell does that even mean? You know, so they think that they're because they're not drinking soda and they're drinking like diet soda and they're eating like whole grain, two whole grain sandwiches. They're getting the whole whole grain bread at Subway. You know what I mean? Like they're killing it now and just not really understanding how any of this stuff works. And so just helping to empower people. And we saw great results. But at a point, And this is the other step where it really changed. I just felt like teaching one person at a time, I've got, I got a lot of work to do, you know, like I need to tell more people about this in, in volume. So that's when I started to teach classes. That's when I started getting invited to, to speak on different stages. And through that, speaking on a stage, I did this TEDx talk, uh, maybe it was 2012, maybe. And then this couple came up to me afterwards and they were like asking me to be the face of their and they had this big brand of their podcast. And I was like, and they told me how big they were had like a million unique visitors a week or something. I had like 10 on my website, 10 visitors. Okay. I was like, absolutely. It sounds good. Let's do it. But I didn't even know what a podcast was. You know, I was like, yes. But in my head, I was like, what is a podcast? I guess I'll find that. So, um, but that's when it started, you know, and this was really early on. And that podcast just really did well. Um, but then I took that knowledge and started my own show and my own brand. So I came into the game, like with the running start, 
Great. And, and through the podcast, you know, we've had, I don't know, someone about like 50 million uh, listener downloads of the show. Um, we've had somebody in basically every country in the world listen to the show. Um, from the show, we've also uh, award nominated, all this cool accolades. But most importantly, it's become a platform for other things to grow. And so for me, um, unfortunately, pod, well, park podcasting right now has become a popular part of our culture. Yeah. But even five years ago, it really wasn't yet. And the virility of books was still like kind of a top thing, top tier thing. And so that enabled me to take my teachings from my clinical practice and through the show and put it into book form. And my first book, uh, Sleep Smarter, became an international bestseller. And it's translated, I think, like 19 countries, somewhere around that. Oh, wow. Um, it just really helps to shift the culture and sleep wellness. So a lot of folks might hear some of the principles that are in the book. They might not even know where they come from because the, the information is spread so wide at this point. I just did a talk for um, Tom Brady's company. Um, you know, shout out to Tom Brady. No disrespect to anybody if they don't like him. Yeah, well, he's listening right now, so yeah. hey, Tom Brady. <laughs> Shout out to Tom, that's right. He's the goat. No disrespect if somebody else has another goat, by the way. Right. I'm not a big New England fan, okay? No disrespect, I was with Tampa Bay. But anyways, they have, like, sleep wellness protocols and coaches within their, you know, within their company. But most, they don't know me. They don't know Sean Stevenson, where it's coming from. And that's all good. Like, I don't need the credit. I just want to shift the culture. You know what I mean? But I also, with the credit part, and this is for everybody, you know, if you're thinking about doing something in this space, you do want to position yourself so that you can can get the, 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 some credit and the, the attention needed to grow yourself so that you can help more people. Yeah. You know, I tend to be one of those people who just like, you know, I don't care about the, you know, this or that. I don't care about the money. I just want to help people. But the more you build yourself up, the more it makes it easier in this current climate, this economy, to stand out and to reach more people and to help. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's that's it in a nutshell and just the kind of steps. And then my new book, Eat Smarter, and yeah. I don't know, we'll talk about, I guess, when this is coming out, but it's actually going to be in every Target store essentially across the country, oh, which I'm is bad. crazy. I used to work at Target. Oh, wow. Damn carts. You know, now my book, and it's not even going to be in the book section. It's going to be featured prominently in a 2021 wellness display, you know, as part of a part of a wellness initiative, you know. So to have a nutrition book at freaking Target, it says something very special about the, the quality of that book. And also, it's just a testament that this is a time for change. Yeah, wow. we need someone, your wife, to take a photo of you with the stack of books and Target pinching you, pinching you in the photo. <laughs> uh, it would be so good. I need to get, like, a cart, too. You know, get yeah. a Target jacket as well, like, before and after. Mm-hmm. Congrats on coming full circle, so, though. That's so pretty exciting. incredible. Yeah. We wanted to take a quick break to share a message sponsored by BetterHelp and to talk about something we think everyone could benefit from, especially after this past roller coaster of a year. And that's therapy. For some of you, it's a tool you've always been open to. For others, it's a non-negotiable. But there will be those of you whose immediate reaction might be to cringe or brush it off as something you don't need. And if that's the case, we completely understand because we've been there ourselves. But we challenge you to dig a little deeper and ask yourself why. 
so often the things that we resist end up being exactly what we need the most. It's normal to feel like you can get through hardships on your own, especially because it's part of our cultural conditioning. But the truth is that all of us can benefit from talking to someone in a judgment-free zone outside of our immediate friends, family, or mentors. Yeah, we carry so many emotions inside of us. And if we don't find a way to release them, they stay stuck, which can become so toxic to the body and manifests itself in things like anxiety, depression, digestive issues, exhaustion, anger, illness, and further isolation, which none of us need right now. When we found out about BetterHelp, we had to share it with you because not only is it affordable, but it's also available worldwide from the comfort of your couch, something that's so needed for all of us right now, of course. And as the seasons change, the weather is colder and the days are shorter, which really is so depressing. And it's even more important than ever that we have an outlet for these emotions that can really be heightened by seasonal depression. So I know for people like us, because we thrive so much from being outside and being in the sun, we really do consciously have to make an effort in the winter months to find healthy outlets to keep our spirits lifted. BetterHelp makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient, so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. They offer four ways to get licensed counseling, video sessions, phone calls, live chat, and messages, so there's something for everybody. It's available worldwide, and you can access it from every country. Plus, there are counselors who speak a variety of languages. So once you sign up for BetterHelp, you'll be matched with someone in 24 hours or less so you can get the support that you deserve when you need it the most. You can message your counselor also at any time of day or night and get replies in 24 to 48 hours and often in just hours between scheduled sessions. The cost is $260 per month, which gets you unlimited messages with your counselor and four 30-minute sessions, which is a pretty great deal. Financial aid is also available for those who qualify. So if you want to try BetterHelp and go into this new year armed with the support you deserve, you can use our link, betterhelp.com solo for 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com solo. Now back to the episode with Sean. So on that note, I was actually just listening to your most recent episode, The Secret History of the Calorie, and had my mind blown. Like I was driving and I just was like, what out loud, like talking to myself the whole episode, because there's just so many bombs that were dropped. And, and I focus very, very much on the idea that calorie counting doesn't work, but I didn't know so much of this. And I think it's a great segue into talking about your new book, Eat Smarter, because that episode really was an inside look into the kind of information people can get from the book. And so we'd love to hear a little bit more about where the idea came from and why it's so different from anything else that you'll find on the shelf. Oh, yeah, such a great question. So for me, one of the things that you guys probably noticed, I, I have this tendency to ask, where did the thing come from? You know, like this term calorie, where the hell did it come from? Because I'm pretty aware that, and all of us, if we think about it, ancient Egyptians, like there was no, nothing on the tombs, you know, about calories, you know what I mean? There's, and you know, the Greeks and the Romans who had the very physical culture, like calories weren't a thing. Nobody was even looking for a calorie when it was discovered as far as food is concerned. This was used as a metric in physics and engineering uh, back in the 1800s. And... What actually made the shift over to nutrition, that was through this guy, Wilbur Atwater, 
which is just kind of still a side note, even though they do use the Atwater system for counting the calories on your package right now, mm-hmm. which has so many loopholes in it, by the way, which we could talk about in a moment. But when the calorie ultimately made the jump into conventional uh, nutritional science, it was thanks in part, largely in part, to a physician named Dr. Lulu Hunt Peters. And this was the early part of the 1900s. And she wrote a, a diet nutrition massive bestseller. It sold over 2 million copies back at this time was basically everybody and their mother had this book. And I went back and I actually read this book and this, these old fangled writings. And I was, I was absolutely shocked because that was when the indoctrination of our culture began with the focus on calories and nutrition. Mm. And it's not, again, let me make this clear. Calories are something they matter. It is is definitely a component we can measure and use, but a calorie is a unit of measurement of energy in food, right? That's basically the premise. Just like a meter is a unit of measurement of distance, but a, a meter in distance is consistent. That meter is going to be the same no matter where you go. You know, like the streets, unless there's like, you know, uh, an earthquake that breaks the street apart, that meter is going to be the same versus the energy content in food, that measurement totally ignores the complexity of human digestion. It takes, it doesn't even take it into account. And as we'll talk about in the different factors today, this is the massive mistake that's been made when so many well-meaning physicians even have been so calorie focused and just putting people in these calorie deficits and just, and so many people have been fighting back like, um, why am I not losing weight? Or why am I even gaining weight? Which should be on paper impossible if you're in a calorie deficit. And it's ignoring the complexity of digestion and the human endocrine system and overall uniqueness of human metabolism. It's just so dynamic, so amazing, but can also really screw you up. So here's the thing. Here's what happened with Dr. Lulu Hunt-Peters. Number one, she is the first person to really change our perception of food, instead of it being a food, we're now thinking about food in terms of numbers instead of in terms of food. And so she said that you will no longer eat 100 calories. I'm sorry, you will no longer eat a slice of bread. From now on, you will eat 100 calories of bread. You will no longer eat a slice of pie. You'll eat 350 calories of pie. So you start thinking about food in terms of numbers and not the quality of the food and the impact it has on your hormones, the impact it has on your, your fat metabolism on your liver, on your adrenal glands, et cetera, et cetera. So that was one thing impressed upon society, but also, and this is the most messed up part, that so it can be so easily looked over. When I saw this, I was like, <gasps> you know, like I don't ever do that. I was like, <gasps> so when I saw this, I, this was what was so crazy. She wrote in her books, she started to attribute the inability when people have weight problems, She started to connect weight problems to a character defect. There's something wrong with the person if you are not able to lose weight. And what's so interesting about it is she had continued weight struggles her whole life. Oh, yeah, she did. And she was trying to fix herself, you know, teach what you want to learn. And she essentially said a woman of her height could eat whatever she wanted as long as it was 1,200 calories a day. And it didn't work for her. Now. She started to attribute and tie together things, morality to food. She placed morality to food, like using words like sin and punishment. And finally, one of the worst things that happened at this point, 
was this was around the time of World War One. So there's like widespread food rationing uh, for some populations of people. And she noted that for every hunger pang you feel, you should have a double joy in knowing that you're saving the hunger pains in a hungry child or you're helping your country so that soldiers can get more food. And she started to associate weight loss with being hungry. And so now being hungry was the goal. When biologically speaking, when you're hungry, there are a lot of things off if you're well-nourished. So that was just the beginning part of, of that, is like looking at how did this all happen? And of course, I'll kick it back to you guys, but what we can talk about are the five things that actually control what calories do in your body. Oh, you can go right oh, yeah, into let's, that. Let's that get would it. Be great. We, we all want to know that. <laughs> so there's just so folks can remember this, it's just a really great analogy that you can use. And calories, so okay, let me put it like this. What's really controlling the show with your cells communicating and your cells doing the things you want them to do to eliminate body fat, to store body fat, is largely controlled by your hormones. And hormones are like these little biochemical messengers. And you can think about them like metabolic DMs, right? So these are direct messages like texts, emails, you know, Snapchat. So it's sending these messages throughout all the cells in your cellular community. But if these messages get skewed, man, so much can go wrong. Like if you get the wrong message, like have you ever accidentally sent your mom a picture you're trying to send your boyfriend? I hope that never happens to anybody. I hope that never happens to anybody, but that can happen, all right? So what I want people to remember is that there are factors that control what the calories are doing in your body. And the uh, acronym I want you to use is the DM, all right? It goes down in the DM, all right? So it's T-H-E-D-M, the DM. So the T stands for the type of food determines what the calories actually do in your body. And this is highlighted in a study that is in, in Eat Smarter, in my new book. And this was published in the peer-reviewed journal Food and Nutrition Research. And they want to find out whether or not a meal of, quote, real whole foods versus a meal of processed foods impact the rate of calorie burn or calorie storage when you eat them, right? And this study blew my mind. They had test subjects to consume either a whole food sandwich, which what they deemed whole food, which was whole grain bread and cheddar cheese, or a processed food sandwich, which was white bread and cheese product. And by the way, cheese product is Kraft. Kraft singles, they can't legally call it cheese. You know, it's cheese product, you know, these Kraft slices. So this is not abnormal. So they're eating one of either of these sandwiches. And when they compiled all the data, and I love this because they're tracking what's happening with their metabolism, with their metabolic rate. They found that the folks who were eating the processed food sandwich had a 50% reduction in calorie burn after eating that sandwich versus the people who ate the whole food sandwich. The calories were exactly the same. Fats, carbohydrates, proteins, all on paper, it's the same, but it had dramatically different effects on the body. Eating that processed food caused the body to retain and hold on, be more stingy with those calories that they consumed. And it was kind of causing conflict in the DMs, in the, in the hormonal communication throughout the body. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's just the T, all right, that's T. So goes down to the DM, the next one is the H. And the H stands for how the food is prepared affects the calorie 
association with the human body. And so what I mean by that is, let me give a good example. A good example would be when you, okay, a big part of human evolution, if you talk to any uh, expert on this subject, the advent of fire and cooking was like a gigantic leap in the evolution of the human brain. Because now we were able to extract more nutrients and more calories from food. And this is not to say that raw foods and uncooked foods don't have massive benefits, by the way. It's just the pure, a good example would be like kale. We'll use kale as an example. If you eat a bunch of kale, raw kale, there's a lot of those factors, uh, nutrients that you're not going to be able to absorb because you have to break the cell wall to be able to extract the nutrients of the plant. And so you can, of course, you can get a plethora of different vitamins and minerals, what have you, but when you cook it, but not without overcooking it, it makes more, some nutrients more bioavailable. Some nutrients change and get denatured for sure. You might miss some, but overall the caloric availability, now that the cell wall has been broken because it's cooked, you get more calories from the food, all right? So the way that food is prepared affects the calorie absorption by the body. Both of those factors, not good or bad if it's cooked or not. I'm not saying that, but you need to know this goes into the equation. Right. So I hope that makes sense. And the pure volume of food you can eat once it's cooked goes up. It makes it much easier to consume more calories from that kale or from, you know, a potato. OK, because, you know, it's just harder to eat an uncooked potato or disgusting. Yeah. So that's the T and the H. Uh, the E determining what calories actually do in your body is just basic energy exchange. That's what the E stands for, energy exchange. It costs calories to digest calories, all right? And this is so, this one here was the closest thing to what's, what I sort of just a smidgen learned about in my university nutritional science class, but not to this degree, not in a way that really makes sense because we don't really get this. But I'm hoping folks do after, after you know, Eat Smarter comes out. So energy exchange, what does that mean? For your body to produce, uh, and I'm just, my mouth is already watering, uh, saliva, you know, your digestive enzymes in your mouth, your uh, stomach acid, to chew the food, to swallow the food, to move, to turn the food in your stomach, to move it throughout your gastrointestinal tract, for your food to be pulled from your gastrointestinal tract into your system, into your bloodstream, and for those nutrients to get shipped to your brain, to your eyes, to your toes, like all of this and this is nothing what I just shared. There's so much more happens when you eat. All of that costs energy. And the macronutrients, we get into this conversation a little bit here, but I really break it down in the book. But the macronutrient that basically has the greatest uh, impact on this energy exchange is protein. And right now, there's a lot of infighting on carbs and fats right now. Like, that's the big talk. And protein's just not getting the attention because it's just like Americans eat too much. But the data on that is heavily skewed, by the way. And so, you know, we talk about that too. But protein costs the most energy for your body to digest and break that protein down into usable, um, uh, usable amino acids, which is the building block. So when we're talking about hormones, by the way, when we're talking about hormones related to fat loss, whether it's glucagon, whether it's, um, you know, uh, adiponectin, whatever the case might be, your hormones are built with proteins, all right? This is so important. So it costs about, so it, it takes about 20 to 30% of the calories 
that you consume to digest the calories of protein. All right, so right off the bat, 20 or 30% of the calories have been burned. And so to give an example, if you eat 100 calories of protein, you're only going to actually absorb maybe around 70 calories because 30 of 30 of those are getting are used to burn the to, to break the protein down. All right. So I hope that makes sense. For carbohydrates, somewhere in the ballpark of around 10%, upwards of about 10%, 5 to 10%. And for fats, it takes zero to upwards of about 5% of the energy is used from the fats you consume to digest the fats. All right. So energy exchange. All right. So that's the and the DM. The last two, the D is digestive efficiency. This is largely not considered because your, your body's ability to digest the same meal as your sister, as your mom, as me, as your neighbor is going to be dramatically different. Yet on paper, all of these dietitians unfortunately are educated in a way that all you need to do is follow this plan, even though this plan is not designed specifically for your metabolism, oftentimes. It's going on a basis of everybody's the same, and you are very, very different from the next person, which we'll talk about in the next one more, but your digestive efficiency. So just to give a simple example, your ability to produce bile, your ability to, like, what if you've had your gallbladder removed, or what if it's just it's sluggish? Um, what if you're deficient in the nutrients to build the bile? So your ability to digest and absorb fats, um, your ability to produce stomach acid, the length of your digestive tract, like I can go on and on and on and all these things that affect whether or not you are absorbing a certain amount of calories from the food you eat. Mm. And not to say either is good or bad, that we want to absorb less because digestive inefficiency can cause a tremendous amount of health problems and even weight gain. So that's digestive efficiency. Lastly, and this one right here, it's like the final frontier in science, right? Well, as far as we know, which even me saying that there's so much, there's always gonna be so much more. But the M, so just to recap, type of food, how it's prepared, energy exchange, digestive efficiency, the M in the DM is microbiome makeup. The makeup of your microbiome is a, I'm talking about massive impact on whether or not you're absorbing calories and also how your body's processing those calories. And your microbiome, this cascade of bacteria and viruses and, and fungi and uh, archaea, all these different organisms, these microbes that are in your gut, determine, they're the front line determining, am I going to take this in to the body or not? It's the front line. So this only makes sense, yet it doesn't get any attention. And in the book, I highlight a study that's published in the journal Cell they found that there's specific bacteria in mice that actually stopped the mice from absorbing as many calories from their food. Not good or bad, just very important to understand. Now, couple that with human studies, one of them is from the Wiseman Institute, found that, and this is well known in the field now, when folks get, move into a, uh, a place of obesity, your microbiome has a massive shift. And there's a, a big similarity across folks who are overweight or obese in their microbiome cascade. They have gut bacteria that are more apt to absorb more calories from their food. For whatever reason, it's the craziest thing. And what they did was they took this human, quote, fat bacteria and implanted it into mice who were lean mice. And it caused the mice to gain weight, gain body fat, and reduce their insulin sensitivity. Whereas taking the bacteria from a healthy human subject and putting it into a lean mouse, they continue to stay lean. 
The bacteria literally are controlling what your metabolism is doing at so many levels. And so all of these things are things that we address in Eat Smarter because all of these things matter. If even one of these things is off, it can be causing a huge issue for you. So I hope that all helps everybody. Just remember that acronym, the DM, goes down to the DM. Uh, See, and like so you would be my favorite teacher in yeah. college and, and which is I mean you call your episodes master classes so Sean can be your teacher he took us to school and I think that's the best explanation I've heard of why you know it's just not colors in colors out and um one just quick follow-up question you know because you hear people say with the kind of keto craze you the more fat you eat, you burn fat faster. I mean, I don't think I'm saying exactly right, but it feels like that doesn't work for everybody and that that's kind of a myth, especially based on what you're saying. Yeah, this is so wonderful because there, there are so many great diet frameworks out there and I know all the guys. I know the guys who like, that's their thing. You know, I know the guy, like New York Times bestseller, uh, Mark Sisson, the keto reset diet, massively successful. I know the guys, the vegan, you know, the, the vegan head honcho, you know, the paleo head honcho, Rob Wolf, you know, that's my guy too. Like I know all the guys. And if you actually talk with them, they will tell you that it's really about having metabolic flexibility. They don't 100% subscribe to their own framework a lot of the time, not to be nefarious for people, But just to understand that this can be a healing template to use. But I don't think they are adamant enough about making sure folks don't take it as like a religious doctrine Mm -hmm. in their books. And so I wrote Eat Smarter in a way that's a unifier. And it's taking no matter what diet you subscribe to, I do not want to try to convert you from that. I want to make sure that you have the principles that are scientifically proven massively again and again and again to be effective no matter what type of diet framework you use. Because a keto diet can be absolutely amazing for some people, but for some people it can be the worst possible thing that they can do. And for people who are just, you know, um, especially when you start a diet, like you just, you're, you're an evangelist. You're like, you wanna let everybody know like this is the one. Yeah. Listen, I'm not, I do not want to dissuade anybody or to uh, dishearten anybody from their, their diet that they love. I know. It's, it's beautiful. I'm telling you, I've been in this space for, for 19 years and I've seen time and time again, the majority of people get success on a diet and a diet framework. And then at some point it stops working or something starts to go wrong. And then they have this perception that it's them. They are the one that's wrong. They just need to keto harder. They just need to vegan harder. They just need to paleo harder. I just need to, you know, ratchet back on whatever it is. And then, you know, because it worked for me before, not understanding your metabolism is dynamic and ever changing. Health is not something you arrive at. It's, it's very fluid and it's constantly changing and it's beautiful, but we have to give ourselves permission to adapt our nutrition inputs as we continue to evolve and to grow and not allowing this diet framework to be the very thing that imprisons us. So that makes sense. Yeah, because it, just last thing I'll say, I think in a lot of those cases, you have to fit for it to be the same result that you might hear from some of these experts like the keto. You have to be so perfect for it to be, you know, for the people that it works for. I think it's like 
it's so, so rigid, you know? And so there's not that flexibility. And I love your focus on metabolism, uh, which brings yeah. us to our next question. Yeah. And just to think off of that, um, before we ask the last question is it comes back to what you said in Lulu Peter's book about morality, like food becomes this really thing where it's like, oh, I ate keto all day. So I'm, I did well you know, but then on the weekend, I had a glass of wine, a piece of pizza. So I was bad. And like, how yeah. often do you hear people saying like, I was a bad girl this weekend, or, yeah. you know, oh, do you want to be bad with me? And then we're like, encouraging each other to like <laughs> cheat together. And it's just, you know, it's, it's cringeworthy. And it makes me so angry that this is still happening, because we are connecting our self worth to these numbers, whether it's the number of calories or the number we see on the scale or the number of our pant sizes. And it's like, if, if we were to say like, is it a, really about a number or is it about how you want to feel? It's a feeling. It's not, not a number. And I think that you so beautifully, um, you know, explain that and help people with that. And I will just say your book is very, again, relatable and it's in your voice. And so it's exciting to read through. You're not reading through like a bunch of stats or boring materials. And so we want to, we want to, we want to encourage people to get the book, but what are three things people can do right now to upgrade their metabolism kind of as our last question? Perfect. Yeah. And thank you for that. Um, for starters, I'm just feeling compelled to share this. I don't know how often I'm going to share this, um, but right now, because we mentioned a little bit about those three macronutrients, which everybody knows about. We've all heard it. This is the stuff that I'm taught in, you know, conventional university setting. But there's not just three macronutrients. There's five. There's actually six. And so we have protein, fats, carbohydrates. Uh, but we also have water mm. and alcohol and fiber. Fiber is like the sixth man. It's kind of coming off the bench as far as the macronutrients concerned, but it's a big food. It's a big a provider of prebiotics for that gut bacteria that we talked about earlier. And not to say that people can't do a different diet where they're, you know, carnivore, whatever, but what the most data shows is that these particular plant fibers really help to cultivate and proliferate the, the microbes that are most associated with reduced mortality rate, reduce rates of, you know, diabetes, obesity, et cetera, et cetera. So I want to say this, the missing macronutrient truly folks really need to focus on more and really helping to shift their metabolism is water. All right. And now we hear this, like people, you know, drink a gallon a day or whatever, all these different little things, drink more water to lose weight. But why? Why? And I promise you, it's not just drink water. And we go into this in depth. It's the type of water. And I know some people are like, what the hell does a type of water mean? Water is water. It's wet stuff. That's it. But this is because we've, again, we've taken something very dynamic and complex and compartmentalized it into a little pithy box where it's just H2O. Inside, like this is what we're taught. But water is not H2O. You will not find pure H2O anywhere in nature, ever. You will not find it. It's not how it works. Water is known as the universal, universal solvent because it's always interacting with other things and becoming these other things. Water literally became you. It has that kind of intelligence. We've heard the statistics before, but truly, I want you to get this. The majority of your body is water. It's kind of important. And the reason this is important as far as metabolism is concerned is that 
the hormones we've been talking about, they operate in a water medium. Your mitochondria that actually burn the fat, because we talk about burning fat, and I take people through the entire process, by the way. Um, it's getting those fat cells to release their stored contents and shuttle them to the mitochondria to actually be burned for fuel. The mitochondria are water-based. If you don't have adequate amounts of the very thing that makes up these things, that make up these organelles, that make up these your cells and your tissues and organ systems, all of those things get suppressed. And this is highlighted in one of the studies uh, that I featured that found that there's this remarkable thing that happens. It's something called water-induced thermogenesis. And they had test subjects to consume about 17 ounces of water at a go. We just say they drank it within a minute or two. And what they found was that there was this radical increase in their metabolism. It was short-term, but they ended up burning about 25 calories just from drinking water. That's calorie-free. Again, you don't, you don't hear this in conventional calorie conversations because everything starts working. Everything starts working better because most people, as far as the statistics here in America, are chronically dehydrated, like constantly dehydrated. And the regulatory mechanisms for your hormones, like your hypothalamus and your brain, water-based, like all of those things, signals, everything is really based on this water superhighway, this communication between your endocrine system, your nervous system, and fat loss. So now, now we get into the complexity part, which is paying attention to your body. The best barometer of how much water you need to drink is listening to your body. Now, this is tough because we are so externally focused. So I do provide like a basic thing that I would, you know, use with my, with my clients that I worked with over the years. And now it's been taken, it's been like some of my friends have put this into their New York Times bestselling books. You know what I mean? This, this framework, uh, which is to take your body weight and divide it in half. So if you weigh 150 pounds, divide that in half, that's 75. So that's 75, you want to drink that number in ounces of water each day. So 75 ounces is kind of just a nice barometer. And I, I'm only giving a little bit of individuality here because I can't possibly directly give the individuality because we have this overarching thing of drink eight, eight, eight ounce glasses of water each day or some ridiculous thing. But if you are 200 pounds and up, 100 ounces is plenty for most folks, okay? Now, how do you do this? Keep it with you. The number one way to make to drink more water is to keep the water with you. You know, I'm looking at uh, someone who has their water bottle right now. She's taking her sips right now. Same thing. I've got mine right here. We've all got our water bottles. So guess what we're doing? We're taking a sip right now. Taking a nice sip. Like what you said, keeping it top of mind. Now keep it top of mind. Get a bottle that you like. You know, I got like this little sexy model health show bottle here. Wow. You know, like. To some, maybe yours got a Power Ranger. Like you're just super into Power Rangers or whatever. Like get something that becomes your sidekick. All right. So water is really the basis. You know, outside of oxygen, water's most important. All right. So we don't want to skip that. And also uh, leaning back into what we shared earlier about the microbiome and the absolutely profound aspects of how your microbiome determines your metabolism. One of the studies that we highlight uh, essentially found that the greater your diversity of microbes in your gut, the greater the diversity of bacteria, that's directly correlated with reduced body fat percentage. 
So as your diversity of microbes goes down, body fat percentage goes up. All right, so we want to increase the diversity of the microbes. And that's what would happen naturally. You know, now we, you know, when we look at folks who are more eating an indigenous diet, you know, more of a hunter-gatherer tribe, the diversity versus somebody, a Western microbiome, is like four, five, ten times more diverse. And literally there's this like ecology, this like rainforest in our bodies. We have upwards of like 400 trillion, you know, microbes that are just hanging around. Um, and it's, it can be a little weird because we're kind of at war with microbes in a strange way and not understanding we are mostly microbes ourselves. But we want to make sure that we don't allow our species of microbes to continue to become endangered or even extinct, which they largely continue to happen because we're not giving them the foods that they need to stay around. That's why uh, these animals continue to die off. They don't have a food supply, not able to reproduce, protect their you know, reproductive cycle, their species. We're doing this on the outside and we're doing this on the inside as well. So to increase the diversity, learn how to, of course, you can eat some probiotic foods. That's all good. But you can take all probiotic tablets you want. They will not do anything if you do not get the probiotics, the prebiotics they need to proliferate. So what does that look like really quickly? Um, this could be, there's a ton of prebiotic foods that we talk about in Eat Smarter, but uh, quickly, uh, asparagus is well noted, onions, garlic, uh, Jerusalem artichoke, green bananas. Now this that has a whole conversation behind it too. So I, this is why I don't want to just like rattle these off. <laughs> because it's high in resistant starch. So resistant starch is gonna be one of the things you guys, everybody continues to hear about for the next few years. Um, but also, uh, inulin. So, um, that's another thing. So apples, pears, there's a ton, just a diversity of plants mm -hmm. point there. If you eat a diversity of plants, you will have a diversity in your microbiome. All right. And, um, last point that I could share, and this is just a summation because it's very important. You have to shift over your thinking from having diet linked psychologically in your mind to your weight. This is one of the biggest problems in our society. This is one of the biggest things we've been indoctrinated that simply has caused more suffering than good. Yeah. Your food controls everything about you, not just your body weight. And once we start to learn, and this is my mission, once we start to learn the other incredible dynamic ways that food controls our different areas of lives. And this is what we highlight, how food controls your ability to make memories. Literally, food and nutri the nutrition, specific nutrients control your ability to make memories, controls your ability to focus, uh, controls your ability to problem solve, is based on your nutrition, which makes sense because your brain is made out of what you eat. Mm -hmm. Very simple, but we don't think about it. Also. One of the most important aspects that I think is really going to change the world is the massive amount of science that we have now on how food affects our relationships and our emotional stability, how we relate with each other, how nutrient deficiencies cause aggression and a lack of empathy and an inability to perspective take. If anything we're seeing right now, there's a massive inability for people to look from other people's point of view and to have healthy conversations. People don't do well because they don't feel well. 
We have a nation of people who are battling within their own bodies and don't even realize it. And they're outpicturing that, battling others. A recent study just came out and found that was a huge meta-analysis that only about 12% of American citizens are metabolically healthy. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. But it just continues to get worse. But this is our time to change it. Enough right now is in flux. Systems are so uh, shaken right now that we can change it and create something better. So get educated on the other ways that food impacts your life. And it will truly create a deep, deep love and passion for this information and a desire to be around it to give yourself the very best things, not because you're supposed to, but because it makes you feel really, really good. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And this is really perfect timing because it sounds like we're going to be releasing this just around the new year. And that's such a powerful message for people to keep in mind, you know, not moving away from being perfect, being bad, being good, being any of that, and just focusing on optimizing our health, our habits, our sleep, um, and paying attention to what we can do every day to best show up and and feel better. So thank you for taking us to Sean's school today. Welcome. And share with our listeners how they can keep in touch with you. Obviously, get your book because they're going to want it right away. Um, mm-hmm. And anything else that you want to share. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, you can find the book anywhere books are sold. You know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all that good stuff. But of course, we do have the uh, National Wellness Initiative at Target stores too. So you can pop out to your local Target if it's not sold out already there. Uh, but you'll be able to find it uh, online. And you can also go to eatsmarterbook.com. We've got like a cool bonus course that I put together. It's 10 video course. It's not this little flimsy, like here's a PDF. You know, I actually went to the studio, recorded 10 videos sharing with people um, 10 foods that have a lot of clinical evidence on how they affect our fat loss related hormones. And so um, people can get that there at eatsmarterbook.com. But just pick up the book anywhere, be a part of this movement. It's so important. And there's a statement that there's there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. And I really believe that this is a time for us to really focus inward and to get ourselves healthy, to get our citizens healthy, you know, because, man, like we have an opportunity to really change history right now. We're writing it. Yeah. So just appreciate this this opportunity and this connection today. And, uh, and folks can also check me out. I'm on IG at Sean Model. I'm over there, you know, having fun too as well. But uh, make sure to definitely pick up a copy of Eat Smarter today. Thank you so much. We will. They yeah. will. We're all. We're all we're, I'm even more fired up than I already was. You yeah. literally made my entire month. So thank you. <laughs> uh, you're so welcome. I appreciate you guys. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you for all the time. We will let you go. We know you got a busy day. We can't wait to, to put this out and we'll connect and let you know when it's coming out. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Please thank your wife too. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Okay. So this interview is definitely going down in the memory books as one I'll never forget. And I can't wait to start Sean's new book, Eat Smarter, which we will hope that you will all get as well. Yeah, I can't believe this dream was realized for you, Jess. I'm so happy. It was awesome talking to him. And for those of you listening, if you are enjoying our podcast so far, we'd love if you could subscribe and leave us a review so we can keep bringing on guests you really want to hear from. It's the best way for us to grow. We'd also encourage you to take a screenshot if you loved this episode and tag us on your Instagram stories at solo2.0podcast so we can share it as well. 
Thank you for listening. And remember, even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight, so be patient and kind to yourself and good things will come. See you next time.